Welcome to Stuck in the Cry Room. We all know the cry room too well at church, the place we don't want to go. But feel we have to because of our situation. As Catholic families, many parts of our life can feel like a virtual cry room. We're stuck and don't know how to get out. Host Joe Holt and John Cox will discuss these current challenges affecting today's families. And provide practical solutions so you are no longer stuck in the cry room. Welcome to Stuck in the Cry Room. We are Joe and John, and we're happy that you're joining us this week as we talk about evangelization. 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 <laughs> it means to evangelize, right? And so we're going to talk a little bit about what that Thank is. Thank you for defining the word. Yeah, That's so well, clear I just now. thought that I needed to <laughs> slow down so people can really listen. But uh, now uh, we're going to talk about that this week, what it is and what we're called to, and um, a little bit about the barriers as well. But we are still in the Easter season, folks. It's Easter's not over yet. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you have a lot of people in your classes that think it's over, right? I no. mean, when you teach classes, are people surprised that it's still Easter? Um, no, because we have mystagogia, and then usually that goes to Pentecost. Um, but it does feel like it's over for some people. Yeah, uh -huh. I think that there's a lot of people, and, you know, look, folks, there's a lot of people that don't understand some things about the faith. That's totally fine. Uh, that's why we're here. We're here to help you through that and help you learn and understand that a little bit more. But I know as I talk to some Catholics, they still consider Easter like a one day. Oh, most people do. Yeah, see, yeah. that's I guess that's yeah. what I was trying to get For at. For me, it kind of seems like it's over after the eight days of Easter because I start fasting again or... At least on Fridays, abstaining from meat, so. And you do that year-round. I try to. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not always consistent in it, but, um, mm. yeah. And, you know, it's like Christmas. Christmas is supposed to be eight days, but even that, um, eight people, eight days, eight days. Like, when you do the Liturgy of the oh, Hours. Oh, yes, yes. It's the same readings and prayers and stuff in the Liturgy of Got the it. Hours, pretty much. Got it. Um, Got it. So, every day is a solemnity for eight days. Same thing with Easter, but, um. Yeah, like you said, most people just see it as one day. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. So this is probably a really good time for us to be having this conversation, just the fact sure. that it is in the Easter season. Right? Yeah. yeah. So you want to begin with a prayer? Sure. Uh, actually, this prayer comes from Pope Francis's Evangelii Gaudium, the joy of the gospel. Beautiful. So, uh, it's asking for the Blessed Mother's Prayer for evangelization. So here we go. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Mary, Virgin and Mother, you who moved by the Holy Spirit, welcomed the world word of life. In the depths of your humble faith, as you gave yourself completely to the Eternal One, help us to say our own yes to the urgent call, as pressing as ever, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Filled with Christ's presence, you brought joy to John the Baptist, making him exult in the womb of his mother, bringing him over with joy. You sang the great things done by God, standing at the foot of the cross with unyielding faith. You received the joyful comfort of the resurrection and joined the disciples in awaiting the Spirit so that the evangelizing church might be born. Obtain for us now a new ardor born of the resurrection that we may be bring all to all the gospel of life, which triumphs over death. Give us holy courage to seek new paths, 
that the gift of unfading beauty may reach every man and woman. Virgin of listening and contemplation, mother of love, bride of the eternal wedding feast, pray for the church whose pure icon you are, that she may never be closed in on herself or lose her passion for establishing God's kingdom. Star of the new evangelization, help us to bear radiant witness to communion, service, ardent and generous faith, justice and love of the poor, that the joy of the gospel may reach to the ends of the earth, illuminate even the fringes of the world. Mother of the living God, wellspring of happiness for God's little ones, pray for us. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. As you were praying uh, or reciting that prayer, there's one word that came to mind. And that word to me is response. Mm. You know, and we know about Mary's fiat, her saying yes to the angel Gabriel. And so, uh, you know, uh, just the words, the phrases that were in that prayer, that's that's kind of what I was thinking about. What about her fiat? What about her saying yes? Mm -hmm. You know, what about John jumping in the womb? I mean, you know, just this response that we have when we encounter Christ. Yes. And that's a lot of what evangelization yeah. It's all about. Yeah, you can't give what you don't have. Right. Exactly. So I think that's what's very interesting. We, we see this now, like a lot of uh, dioceses and churches and stuff, like ev- this huge push for evangelization. And then we all kind of stand around looking at each other, <laughs> scratching our heads and asking, well, why aren't we evangelizing? Well, you, you can't you can't give what you don't have. And right. yes, we have the sacraments. So that's first and foremost primary but if we're closed off and we don't understand the beauty of the sacraments, if we're closed off in prayer, then why why would we want to share Christ with anyone? Like we always kind of need that initial conversion ourselves. Right. So. Yeah. Well, you have to think about like what is your, what was your encounter, right? So as yeah. you're even listening, your people are listening story. right yeah, now. Yeah, people, your story. Yeah. A lot of people say it's a, like a witness story. Now, some people may not have, quote, unquote, a huge profound witness story of like the clouds opening up, you know, can be very subtle or very slow. But the point is we've all had encounters in some way. Right. So Uh, what's your story? We don't have time for that. You you can give a shortened version. Can you not? I I mean, what's your Um, three minute elevator speech? My three minute elevator speech. (laughs) I'm just just teasing you. Um, you Give it, give a, give a short, a short summary of that story. um, I think that'd be helpful for people as they're listening. Maybe they don't have, their story and they haven't thought about this, but it's important for them to understand so they could share that with others. Oh, man, this, there's multiple stories. That's why. So it's like everything on yeah. stages, but I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'll, the rosary, I think is probably the most profound because I was on, I was becoming atheist, sort of speak. Um, wow. My parents made me pray the rosary at night mm-hmm. when I was in high school or junior high, probably high school. And um, they started praying us. We just started praying it. And um, I'm like, this rosary stinks. It's broken. I keep praying for all these things. I don't get them. I don't get any money. I don't have a girlfriend. Um, I'm not popular. This pro- <laughs> this rosary. You weren't popular. I would imagine that you were like the most popular <laughs> oh person gosh. in school, John. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, I can't even speak clearly. Never mind. <laughs> so, anyways, homecoming uh, king. Yeah, John Cox. Okay, so sorry. Distracted. Right, yeah. I'm really distracted. I'm, still, today. I'm going to get therapy now. <laughs> um, so. But anyways, one night, just really depressed and mm. just heard a voice in my conscience. And it was, it was Our Lady's voice. I know it was Our Lady's voice. She's like, well, why don't you pray the rosary? I'm like, mm. why? It doesn't work. Can't get, you know, don't get anything I want. What's the point? 
Um, used to pray for miracles, nothing, you know, I'm like, yeah, whatever. So, and then our lady was like, well, what do you got to lose? I'm like, yeah, I, I can't argue with that logic. That, yeah, <laughs> really. Like, it's like, what do you got to lose? Like, where are you going, John? You're stuck in your basement of your house with living <laughs> your parents. Which means I was pretty cool, right? Homecoming king, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, Joe, whatever. Um, so I got on my knees and what happens, I, I, instead of praying for superficial things, I prayed for the gift of faith. Mm-hmm. And so I was going through the sorrowful mysteries and I was going through the sorrowful mysteries. I, you know, I looked at the cru- crucifix on the rosary. Now it's the first time I realized Jesus died for my sin and Jesus was God. Even though I might've been taught that, even though I went to mass every Sunday, it just never registered. But that was that moment. And I believed, I guess, so to speak. And actually that's the very meaning and definition of faith. Faith is the response what God has revealed. So when you talk about the blessed mother, responding to the archangel Gabriel, she had, that's why she's the the model of faith. She responded what God had revealed in faith. She was obedient. And so that was kind of one of many stories in, of leading me to, to Christ. So that's beautiful. Um, I had a conversion at Steubenville. So Franciscan university, Steubenville, they have the youth conferences, yep. slain in the spirit, cool stuff. And it was awesome. I come back and this is what we talk about evangelization. I come back and there was a girl who uh, would go on the bus, with these identical twins, but they're opposite in personality. <laughs> so they're identical, <laughs> but could not be more opposite. Anyways, we, you know, walk down to the bus stop every day and um, I think I was a sophomore. And so I'm like, I told her the story, what happened to me at Steubenville and Franciscan and this huge conversion at the youth conference and all that. And I'm like, I didn't know anything about the faith. I'm like, oh my gosh, Jesus loves you. This is amazing. And here are my rosies, my rosies, you know, <laughs> turn to gold and this and that and all this other stuff. And I'm on fire. And she's just like, I want that. Wow. And I'm like, I don't know what I have. Yes. You can have it. And uh, so we talked every day, of course. And, um, you know, she was into witchcraft. Like this is New English. So she was in the Wicca and all that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. then she's wow. like, I want what you have. I'm like, okay. And then so... Wow. Um, her mom very reluctantly allowed her to go through RCIA. Mm-hmm. So she spent two years in RCIA and uh, became Catholic. That's amazing. So, Your zeal was infectious. That was it. I mean, this is the whole thing when we talk about evangelization. Yeah, it's right. not rocket science. No, it's not. Yeah, definitely it's not. It just takes courage. And I think we've lost that. I think a lot of people say, well, I need to give to faith or I need to believe that God is going to take care of me or I need to trust God more. It's not about <laughs> trusting God more. It's about having the courage to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we lost a lot of that courage. I think we fear other people more than we fear God. And that's, and I think that's why evangelization is not as open anymore because dialogue has ended. People don't want conversations. It's now we are kind of set up in our culture and society, us against them when it's not the case at all. Um, but in order to have dialogue, it, it takes time to document Ecclesium Suum, which was basically a overview of the Vatican II council um, had three parts, awareness, renewal, and the last part was dialogue. And so he goes through this understanding of dialogue and what that means and everything and how we're called to engage the culture through dialogue. Um, now, and dialogue does not mean just listening to the other person and agreeing with them. It means having a conversation and actually disagreeing with them oh, and, yeah. and being able to disagree with them. <laughs> but of course, what do we see now? If you yeah. disagree with someone, you get written off or you're canceled or whatever the situation is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
No, I'm sitting here laughing because like, I think what's really funny about my, my moment, uh, with, with, with Christ was, uh, my stubbornness and just trying to argue with him, you know, yeah. just trying to prove that he's wrong. <laughs> you know, I, the reason why I responded and I acted was because I just wanted to prove what he told me was absolutely incorrect and false, you know? And was so he God, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I had a struggle, like a, a conversation. Like a Jacob kind of wrestling I'm, you with know, the angel at night. Okay, so here here's my short version. And, um, you know, if anyone's interested, I can give you the long version. This is just the short version. Uh, the short version is that I, I, I grew up in a home that did not uh, really talk about faith. And I, I went to Catholic school for a couple of different years uh, and first and second grade. So I was exposed to it on a very surface level. And I know my grandmother, my grandfather, faith was important to them because they prayed. But when you live in a home that seems that um, just filled with sadness and pain, Mm -hmm. you, you think that God has forgotten about you. And, you know, then you make some bad choices and then you feel that you're not even worthy, even if he did exist. And so in a, in a night of desperation after our second child and I had postpartum depression, I, I finally was just ready to give up and just give up everything. And so I, I just called out to God in the middle of the night and, and I said, if you really exist and if you're really there, you're going to tell me what purpose you have for my life because I feel like, you know, it's not worth living anymore. I'm just, I can't be anything for anyone and Yes, I, I was a mother and I had two children, but the depression that I was just spiraling yeah. into, it just was taking control of my body and not allowing me to see the hope that really existed in my life. Yeah. And that was when he he spoke to me and he told me uh, that, that he wanted me to write and he wanted me to teach and that I was supposed to go to the church the next day to tell them that. And, you know, first of all, like I felt peace. I felt I actually was able to get to sleep. And then I woke up in the morning. I'm like, okay, did this really happen? Did this conversation really take place? No, I've been there. I don't, okay, I'll go into the church like he told me to do and just see what happens because I have nothing to lose, you know? What do you you have to lose? (laughs) And it was a funny exchange because, you know, after I walked out of the church, I suddenly was a catechist. So I was a catechist (laughs) teaching sixth graders of all people about the church. And so I really had to make sure I thoroughly understood the lesson plan every time I walked into class because they had a million and one questions. And I felt like I had to be in my own pride, be Mm. able to like answer their questions and know it. And uh, that just led me on a, on a journey to be able to discover and to know more about him. And whenever I started to stray or started to get a little bit confused, that's when I would hear him speak into my heart or I'd hear the Blessed Mother speak into me. Mm. And that was very helpful. But I've spoken to a lot of different people. John, we had this conversation in pre-show, but I, I've spoken to a couple of different people who get frustrated because they have not heard the voice of God. And in the literal sense that, my encounter was, or it sounds like what your experience was. And some people have that and some people don't, but that doesn't mean that God's not there, you know, or he, he's not. It just means uh, their faith is stronger. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the reason why I had that experience is not because I'm holy or good. It's because I was a complete wretch. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I was like the opposite end yeah, of the spectrum, like, folks. And that's the whole point is, yeah. is, is, I mean, why is God, I don't want to say, I don't think he speaks to me in that sense, but why do I not have those experience? Let's say this way. 
the reason why I don't have those experiences now is because I know what the church teaches. My faith has grown and it's been tested in prayer and things like that. So God's like, I'm not going to do that. He only does it for, in his wisdom, he knows what's best for us. Right. You know? I feel like what makes our stories very similar um, is from the standpoint that both of us were very broken and very hurt, right. very wounded. And because we were healed right. and we received that loving touch, that merciful, graceful touch of mm -hmm. God, and he healed the deepest parts of our wounds, you have no other response but just to completely give yeah. yourself away to other people yeah. and to help them be able to experience the same love that 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 you encountered. Mm -hmm. When you say that's true? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. why you went into the streets. I love Jesus. Yeah, and I, was. <laughs> I was. I couldn't. I mean, man, was that student? I, couldn't, I told everyone, like, he's real. Yeah. <laughs> he exists. He does. He's here. Yeah. I, mean, I think my, one of my kids had this a similar experience. Yeah. Like, no, no, he's real. Like, yeah, it's what we I, I think there's parts of me that's really saddened to think that there's a lot of people in our church who have not had an intimate encounter. Mm -hmm. with him. And so their faith is very surface level and it's just kind of going through well, the motions. And I, and I feel saddened for that. Well, the, that's because they don't have a thirst. Mm -hmm. And, and the problem is, is we who have had those encounters or right. we who are on fire for the faith need to share that thirst with others. Yeah. And I don't think we do that enough. Yeah. Um, you ever watched the movie Schindler's List? I talk about this. You talked about this, but go ahead. Yeah, I always, always like this. Yeah, this I, I need to now see this because yeah, I, you don't need, you don't need to see the whole movie, but at the very end, <laughs> just, I always just like, watch the end. Yeah, at the very end of the movie, I just <laughs> sure. was watching it again, and uh -huh. you know, there he is, like uh, all the people he rescued, and and basically what he did is he sold all of his stuff to buy the freedom of Jews and to have them work in his factory and stuff like that to buy their freedom. Right, and so he's. You know, he's caught and he's trying to escape before they, the Gestapo catches him. But, you know, he just, he's like just in shock. Mm. And, um, you know, he looks at the car, he's like, oh, this, this car, I could we can sell it and could have bought 10 more Jews. And he, he has a pin, a gold pin on his uh, jacket. He's like, oh, this pin is because could have got one. Oh, no, wait, two. No, maybe one. No, wait, maybe two. I could have bought two more lives with this. Mm. And so here he is you see all the good he did and he can't even see the good. He's totally blinded to it. All he can keep focused on is, you know, f buying the freedom for one more Jew. And this is what we need to do when we, when we evangelize is that we need to have that same desire and thirst. Right. Um, and so I think that's very important because we don't have that desire and thirst. It's, it doesn't work. Um, right. Evangelization is not an intellectual exercises or, or jumping over, um, or jumping through hoops or something, or thinking if you have the right, this is, I think the biggest problem here, apparently I'm going off on this. So <laughs> this is what drives me nuts is that we, as Catholics who are well-educated, we think mm -hmm. if we say the right thing and have the right conversation, we're going to convert someone. Mm. Like we have all these techniques, all these tricks, all these videos, all these books, all these apologists, yeah. all these people who are smart and brilliant and smarter than me. And we think, well, if I just study all this stuff, when I come across someone, I'm just going to say the right thing and it's going to convert them. And I think that's a lot of pride and arrogance. Sometimes I've said the stupidest things. I still do. But anyways. <laughs> and the Holy do you Spirit, notice I was quiet? I didn't yeah, say anything. Yeah. You but, just have but, a conversation but, by yourself. the Holy Spirit does the work. <laughs> or I said something like, I said like, oh man, I said it all perfectly. I said it very clearly. I went through the logic. I went through the scriptures. I presented it and they didn't buy it. Right. Right. So the thing that 
to think that evangelization has some kind of technique is a lie. There's yeah. no particular quote unquote technique. This isn't sales. Right. You know, what yes. happens when you're a salesman? Like, okay, here's the script and just stay, stick to the script and sell the product. Yeah. Right. And as Catholics, when we try to do that, it ends in dismal failure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so... I've had a lot of conversations with people who who feel um, that they don't have what's necessary in order to be a disciple, to be a missionary disciple for they Christ. They don't get over it. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. they're like, I'm they're sorry, like, I'm not, not, I'm not a disciple because yeah. I am not like that, or I don't have that, or I didn't have that experience. You know, everyone, that's, everyone. That's the sin of pusillanimity. Pusillanimity. That's a big word, John. Okay, it's. Uh, I remember hearing Father Kevin's homily a couple months ago. It was amazing homily. But Thomas Aquinas talks about this. Pusillanimity is the sin that 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 uh, servant commits when he buries his talent. You know, this, Ooh, and I Aquinas like that. Aquinas talks word. about this. I remember Father okay. Kevin talking about this. So yeah. you have the you know the ten talents, the five mm-hmm. talents, and the one talent, and he buries it. Yeah. And what does yeah. he do? He takes the talent, he buries it. And then when God calls back and says, hey, or the master comes back and says, hey, what did you do? Who does he blame? Well, he blames the one that buried it and did nothing. No, 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 no. The master, yeah, the master blames him. But, yeah. but when the master accuses the servant of burying the talent, how does the servant respond? What? He, he blames God. Well, I knew you were a hard person to serve. I knew you were really tough. So I just didn't want to take any risks. Like he's, he blames the master. So I guess I never caught that part of the oh, story. I didn't either until Father Kevin pointed <laughs> that out. And I was like, ooh, that's totally me. Oh, wow. It's a sin of pusillanimity. <laughs> well, God, you didn't give me enough gifts. Oh, I didn't have enough talent. Or I, or this and that. And we make all sorts of excuses. Mm-hmm. It goes back to Adam and Eve, right? God catches Adam and Eve in the act of sinning. And what happens? Oh, it wasn't my fault. It was the woman's fault. It wasn't my fault. It was the serpent's fault. They totally blame. Actually, Adam blames God, the woman whom mm-hmm. you put here. Yeah. So, right. so this is what happens. We we don't we just blame someone you say that oh, I'm not I'm not able to be a disciple. I don't know enough. Right. It's the sin of false humility. When God calls us to do something and we do it under the pretense of humility when it's really just cowardice. Mm. So for me, I just I'm a coward. I just admit it. <laughs> like I'm just calling a spade a spade. <laughs> it's a sin of omission. It's it's you know, it's wrong. Um, but the thing is, the question is, why do we, why worry coward? Why do we not preach the gospel to that person? Because we don't have the desire because we think everyone's going to heaven, right? If everyone's healthy, then why we don't need to have a doctor. You only say, if you, the only time you say, you, the only time you talk to someone and say, Hey, you need a doctor is when you see someone who's sick, right? I, I know where you're going with right. this, but we go for physicals and we're not sick. So I, I don't, I don't mean still, to throw a kink in your, well, your that's, still, what, that's what I'm thinking. My point is, yeah, but you still go see a doctor. See, I'm though. so argumentative, John. This no. is, this is, what's the problem that God had with me in no. 2004. But the point is, you're still going to go see a doctor. Yes. But you still recognize you need a doctor. Yes. Okay. But my point is this, is, is if everyone's okay and everyone's healthy and everything's safe and everything's okay and comfortable, then there's nothing to preach. Jesus came to heal the sick. So... What do we do? We either say Jesus can heal us of our sickness, which we call sin, but then we have to acknowledge sin and we don't like that because we want to hold on to it. So the hard part is, is evangelization. The reason why we don't do it is because one, we don't have a desire for, or a thirst for souls. Two, we're not really convicted of what the gospel is. 
you know, we think it's a great thing to live by, but, but not transformative when it is transformative. Mm-hmm. And so, and also we're not in love with Christ. You know, when I was a kid, I would talk about those things I love the most. When I was a kid, I played with Legos. So what do I talk about? Legos. Legos. Right? When I had the new video game or uh, Nintendo system, what did I talk about? Zelda. Zelda. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, Zelda. You're right. Right? Good uh, guess. I played basketball. I talked about... Shooting a three-pointer. Uh, Larry Bird and, and the Celtics, right? <laughs> Football, New England Patriots, right? And then I got married, and I fell in love with my wife. And so you talk about Mandy all the time. So I talked about football. No, wait, I didn't. All right. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> talked about the Cowboys. <laughs> How bad Good one. Good one. Good no, one. You can edit that one out, John. No, I'm keeping that. All right. <laughs> but no, that's kind of the running joke is, yeah, you're right. I would talk about, and I still love talking about her because I'm in love with her. Right. Right. So if we're not talking about Jesus Christ all the time, what do you think? Are we really in love with him? Mm, yeah. If we're afraid to talk about him, are we really in love with him? And so for me, that's a huge um, awareness for my own life. Like if I'm afraid to talk to him about him to other people, then I know I'm not in love with him. I'm not right with God. Mm. And so I need to get right with him. To yeah. My mom is amazing. She's an amazing evangelist. So she has these little prayer cards, like business cards. Uh-huh. And, and, and it's just something like, you know, trusting God or something. She's given like 20,000 of these out to just random strangers. Your mom's amazing. She is. Like she just does this stuff because she loves people and she wants to know about God loving them. It's not rocket science. And of course I try doing it. I can't do it. I'm <laughs> like, obviously I don't love God of this person enough to do it, even though it's as simple as that. Um, and that's why my mom's so amazing because she is madly, passionately in love with Jesus Christ and she wants to share it with everyone. And she doesn't have a degree. She doesn't have a master's or a PhD. You know, when we get in theological arguments, I might, <laughs> I still lose the arguments because she's my mom. But at the same time, it doesn't matter. She's a much better evangelist than I'll ever be, even though I know more. Well, because she desires, she has that thirst for souls. She has a thirst for Christ. Well, I know that you have a thirst too. Isn't it fair at this point to really say no two people evangelize the same way or a call to evangelize the same way? You evangelize in so many different ways. I'm sure that your mom does not. Yes. I mean, I've done St. Paul Street evangelization and, and stuff like that. The point is this, was when I encounter that person, do I thirst for their soul? Do I love them enough to give them the good news? And the answer is sometimes like, no, I just want to be left alone. That's selfish of me to say that. Yeah. And and a great way, I think, to understand the depths of what that thirst is, is Mother Teresa's letter. You just have to do a search on the internet for I Thirst by Mother Teresa, and you can read her letter to the sisters in her order and what she talked about and what that love feels like for God. Yeah. And I, I think it's, you know, one thing that... I'm thinking about right now, based on what you just shared, is I think there's a real opportunity for everyone to do a self-assessment of those things. Yeah. Of, you know, tell me about your thirst. Do you do you love God? Do you thirst for, for him? Do you thirst for the children? Do you know the depths of his love? Right. How do you know the depths of his love? Mm-hmm. And what ways have you encountered and experienced him that you would be able to share that with someone else? Yeah. So they might come to understand and to know what that love feels like. Yeah. 
I mean, and that's it. I mean, if you're in love, you want to talk about, it. I remember, um, it was a couple of months ago, I'm over at my friend's house and he had another friend. I met him maybe twice. And, um, I knew there's some stuff going on and, and basically we started a conversation. And I went off basically, so to speak <laughs> on the Eucharist, <laughs> for like two hours. John. I didn't care. I was like, cause I knew where he was in his life and his spiritual oh. life. And I'm so like, you were letting him have it pretty much. Okay. And that's what people say. Well, you gotta be careful. Well, yeah. You gotta know, like a good doctor knows what to do for the patient. Sometimes it may be very comforting. Other times it may not be, you know, you have to do what's best. So why was I so passionate? Why did, because I cared about his soul. You know, I cared about him. Now was his life changed? No, he probably went back to his normal life. But that's the other thing too, is that we're not called to bear fruit. We can't do that. We just have to sow the seeds in God and God alone and the human heart can bear fruit. And I think this is the whole point. And this is my, one of my hangups with myself, my own problems is that I don't want to evangelize unless it's going to bear fruit, which mm. is total pride. First of all, it's pride. Yeah. Second of all, it's laziness. Yeah. Um, and, and it's under the disguise. It's under the pretense of being practical or prudent. Wow, I don't want to offend them because the prudent thing would be to, no, sometimes you just need to hit someone over the head with a hammer. Right. Right? It was yeah. love, of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but I was Yeah, let's saying, make sure we're not steering people down the, the yeah, wrong path here. Yeah. We're not just saying just go up to people and start yelling at them. <laughs> with your own discernment, you know what right. you're being asked to do at that very moment. Right. I, I think also the, the two words put them together to know. You know, how well do you know those people closest to you? How well do they know you? And by you sharing information about yourself would also help them to know Maybe Christ. I would say maybe. No? I'd say, I would say maybe because several things. The hardest people to evangelize is, is your own family because they know you. A prophet's not welcome in their own town. You see this with Jesus. So... Yes, we are called, but again, we think we have some kind of strategy to do it well and it's going to work. It's not the case. I, I think if anything, this is my prayer, is that we see every person as how Christ sees them and loves them. Like I want to have the eyes of Christ and see them either how in their wretched state, if they are, or in their great state or whatever they are, and have a love for them. I, I, this is one of the things I love so much about Christ in a city. I think this is probably one of the best ministries I've seen for lady is Christ in the city because it's not only helping the poor, but it's evangelizing them. Cause that's what the good news is for. It's for everyone. Yes, but really for the poor and they do, you know, and what is their evangelization technique? They sit and spend time with them and get to know them as a person, not because they have to, or they're getting paid or whatever, because they genuinely care about them. Because that's the thing about evangelization. Why do people not believe in the good word and the gospel? Because it seems inauthentic. It seems fake. We've, mm. we've, we've put the gospel and we think we put the gospel in a nice package, a nice bow on it and a nice present. And it looks pretty and everything that it's going to sell. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. I don't know why it just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Usually it's in a bad package and a hot mess of myself who I'm crazy and nuts and I'm not perfect and weak and broken and stupid and whatever. And here I am, this ugly package on the outside and the Holy Spirit shows through. And when I evangelize or talk to people or people's lives are changed, it's definitely not me. Mm. 
But I think that's the whole thing. We keep, we keep thinking, we put it in a nicer package. It doesn't need a package. It yeah. sells itself. Yeah. So. And for that, you have to be authentic. Exactly. That's the package if you're going to have a package. Yeah. And I think we, we spend so much time thinking if we have the right arguments, say the right things, it's going to fix the problem. And that's pride. So. So for someone who is listening and they have not utilized their talents for purpose of evangelization, what would you say to them? Use their talents. First of all, you don't have to have no talent. So that's, that's the first step. Like when I was evangelizing in high school, I had no talent. <laughs> so, so that's the first thing. You're right. That's not the good way to say it. No. I mean, everyone has their own talents. It has nothing to do with And your talents can be a vehicle for evangelization, but it's not necessary yeah, for right. evangelization. The only thing that's yes. necessary is baptism. And if you're baptized, you are called, and even Pope Francis in Joy yeah. the Gospel says it. Missionary he says this, disciple. He says, all the baptized, whatever their position in the church or their level of instruction in the faith, so right. The, right. Right. Which is what yeah. we're talking about. Yep are agents of evangelization and it would be insufficient to envisage a plan of evangelization to be carried out by professionals. So it'd be insufficient to have like a, this plan of professionals evangelizing. He's like, it doesn't work that way. The new evangelization calls for the personal involvement on the part of each of the baptized Every Christian is challenged here and now to be actively engaged in evangelization. Indeed, anyone who has truly experienced God's saving love, like you and I were talking about, God's saving love does not need much time or lengthy training to go out and to proclaim that love. Every Christian is a missionary to the extent that he or she has encountered the love of God in Jesus Christ. We no longer say that we are disciples and missionaries, but rather that we are always missionary disciples. And he gives the perfect example of the Samaritan woman, right? No training, no Absolutely. theology. Degree. No. What does she do? She encounters Jesus Christ and, and then she, she runs and, and evangelizes. Yep, tells everyone. And what happens? And you know she did a good job evangelizing because he had to leave. <laughs> It's true. No, but you know, she did a good job evangelizing because what do they say at the end? We no longer believe your words, but his words, but Christ's words. So now they transition from what she says to him. Right. That's how you know she did a great job because it wasn't about her. It was about all about Jesus Christ. And that's why it's important that when you tell your story, it's not about this is what I did. This is, this is what I was before. I had this one moment. Here's what Christ did for me, and here's what I'm doing now. I mean, that's the basic recipe for a, a witness story, mm -hmm. like a testimony when we share that information with other people. Right. That's, that's what it is. That's the formula. And it's really important that when we talk about transformation and we talk about love, we talk about it in the connection of the charisma and what God did for us and what Christ continues to do for us in our mm -hmm. life. I mean, it has to be Christ-centered. That's mm -hmm. the other thing, too. It's not just a dialogue of different beliefs. Right. I, th I think that's one of the key things. One of the, you know, if we're going to have one practical thing, so let me give you one practical yeah, thing. Yeah, I like it. Um, one of the biggest problems I see in evangelization is when we're dialoguing or talking to people, we say, well, the church believes dot, <laughs> dot, dot, or I believe in dot, 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 or as a Catholic, I think that dot, dot, dot. Now, we don't believe this stuff because I'm a Catholic or because the church says 
or whatever, you believe in this stuff because it's true and it's reality. So let me kind of give you an example of this. Because I, I made this mistake in RCA. So for example, if I was teaching RCA class when I was many years back, I would say, well, as Catholics, we believe that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we believe as Catholics. Now, that's true. Okay, so that's true. We do believe as Catholics that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. However, when you say that, it comes across of, well, that's one truth among many. That's the Catholic truth, and then there's the Mormon truth, and then there's the Protestant truth, and, and then there's whatever truth. Well, that doesn't make any sense. There's only one truth. So as I grew in my faith and became more convicted and realized not to hide behind the doctrines or anything, but as I began to teach, I, instead of saying, we as Catholics believe the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ, I simply say, no, the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ. And keep that conviction going. So it's not a matter of what I believe. It's a matter of what is true. And what is true is that the Eucharist truly is soul and divinity, body and blood of Christ. And I don't care what you believe in my audience, because it's not going to change the reality that that's truly Jesus there. And so as you're talking, having that conversation, teaching that way, they say, oh, if that's reality, that's the truth, that I'll buy into it. If it's your truth among many truths, because you're just, quote, Catholic, then it doesn't doesn't make any sense. So that's one of the things is that, you know, for example, morality. Well, the church says, and then fill out whatever moral issue, sexual morality, right? The church says that this is wrong or that is wrong or the church says this, right? People are like, well, fine, you have your truth, I have my truth, right? This whole dictatorship of relativism. No, we don't say that. We say, this is wrong. Adultery is wrong. It's not, it's not, whether the church says it or not is irrelevant, Abortion is wrong. Whether the Catholic Church comes out and says it or not, it's still wrong. Um, Adultery is wrong. All this stuff, you know, pick, pick whatever controversial stuff that we can talk about for another day. The reason why church said, the church says these things are wrong, the church saying it doesn't make it right or wrong. It is right or wrong in of itself, regardless what the church says. And the church is simply affirming what is true. What is real? What is the truth? What has been revealed to it through Jesus Christ and the gospel message, through the Ten Commandments, through, well, yeah, really the Ten Commandments, because that's what morality is all about. So that's a key thing here. So that's a real simple thing to understand. If you're evangelizing someone or talking to someone, don't say, well, I'm Catholic, so I believe this. Just say, this is true. The Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ, period. This is immoral. I don't care what you believe. It's immoral whether you... <laughs> Whether I'm Catholic or not. <laughs> you have a lot of great points that, yeah. that you just shared. I think we can lean into the story of the Samaritan women, since you already brought it up, right? and really go back and look at the dialogue that Christ has with this woman at the well. Look at the language that he utilizes. Look at exactly what he says to her. You know, it's not like he went to the well to pick a fight with her either. He knew how to speak with her, how to meet her right where she was at. And I think our conversations and evangelization really have to be sprinkled, if you will, with mercy and love. And how we have those conversations also so you're saying, are very okay, important. So hold on, hold on. Okay. Oh gosh, I'm not trying to open up a can of you know what here. <laughs> no, I'm just can. saying that there. Right. I mean, there are many ways that Christ could have had that conversation at the well. Oh, it's that's true, right? And if we look back at how he said it, how he said everything, it came from love. Actually, yeah, but he was kind of condescending too. Well, 
He was like, oh, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't be asking these questions. Oh, oh my God. It, oh, <laughs> come on. My no, goodness. And that's the thing. But what does he say? What does he say? He says, I thirst. What is he thirsting for? Her. He's thirsting for her. For her. Role, for her. Right. That's the first step of evangelization. And when he says, I thirst, guess what? That thirst is filled with her conversion. Right. So if you are having a conversation with someone and you're thirsting mm-hmm. for them to be able to know Christ in the same way that you know Christ, mm-hmm. how you speak to them is going to always come from a place of love. Right. Let me ask you this. But like if you're just out, just there are some people. Right. And I'm going to say this because I've encountered these people. Right. There are some people that it's just a black and white thing oh, yeah. for them and they're out to just pick a fight. Yeah. No, I'll, okay. And Hold on here. It's not you're about right. your soul. Right. It's just about being sticking right. it to no, you. No, I agree. When I did St. Paul Street evangelization, I'd always get the born again. I'm making a generalization, just born again yeah. Christian or Bible, we'll say Bible thump or whatever. Come across. And they're, they're, the whole point was to prove that I'm wrong. And like, well, you're wrong here. You're wrong there. You're wrong there. I'm like, okay. And I, I asked him, do you care about my soul? He's like, yes. I'm like, why? <laughs> and, you know, because I want you to go to heaven. I'm like, okay, fine. Well, good for you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Keep praying for me. God bless you. Whether they're authentic or not is between them and God. I don't care. But at least, you know what? For heaven's sake, give them some credit. At least they're trying to do something. It may not come across great. It may be very unpolished. It may become arrogant and prideful. But you know what? Right now, we need something. And it's better than nothing. And I think our silence is overwhelmingly loud. I think because of our silence, we've said more than ever. So for those people, yes, if they are being prideful and arrogant and they come across with the wrong intentions, God can work on that. That's between them and God. I'm just thankful at least they're doing something. Um, and if they want to do, come and evangelize and convert me and come on in, we'll have a, I actually won't be much of a conversation. Usually I just let them talk and say, oh, thank you. <laughs> Cause they don't want to have that conversation. I, I think what you're but. trying, I think what you're trying to say is it's really important for people to be bold. Yeah. It's important for them to have the zeal. And if you don't know how to have the zeal because you don't have a place to pull that out from within your soul, then that might be an indication for you that you need to spend some time encountering Christ and who he is in your life. If that's an adoration chapel, that's in prayer, if that's with the guidance of spiritual direction. Or it's just sometimes just taking a risk. Yeah. That's what it is. Take the risk. Yeah. That's what faith is. Faith, the first step of faith is taking a risk and trusting in God. It's It's not not supposed to be comfortable. It's not. (laughs) It's not. not. If you're comfortable in your life, then. You're not a very good Catholic. (laughs) You need, yeah, you need to get uncomfortable in order to grow in your faith. And to do things. Exactly. For his. If you're going to carry the cross with Jesus and walk with him, you got to be uncomfortable because that was not comfortable. Yeah. Well, hopefully you were um, comfortable yet not comfortable in in our podcast today. So thank you all so much for listening. Uh, Feel free to please share this with others. Leave your comments on our podcast um, on all different platforms. We really appreciate that. It helps others to get to know our episodes and, and the good work that we're trying to do for the church. So thank you all so much. God bless you and have a great day.